What's going on, Law Nation? Welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, the best place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Now, if you're ready to practice when you want to and not because you have to, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to opportunities to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. All right, riddle me this. How many income streams do you have? If the answer is one, well, you're not alone. Unfortunately, most of us only have one. We've been brainwashed to believe that having one quote unquote reliable stream of income is the safest place to be. We've been told that getting a degree, a great job with benefits and a 401k is the best way to secure your family's finances present and future. But you know by now, as well as I do, that it's all a big lie. For my attorneys and other professionals out there that have been through the 2008 crash, you know for a fact that you are expendable. The moment you start costing your firm more money than you make them, you are at risk. The moment the work dries up and you can't hit those billable hour requirements, your job and your financial stability are at risk. And these moments don't just occur during a financial economic crash. They can occur at any time. Back in 2016, I was working in big law doing CMBS real estate finance work. As you probably know, this is very specialized, high demanding work as counsel for some of the largest banks in the world. All of a sudden, the lending market quickly dried up for these types of loans. And I, along with many of my colleagues, we're left without the ability to hit our billable hour expectations. Well, as you can guess, cuts were swiftly made. The last few years of billing 2,500 hours a year didn't matter. What mattered was, what have you done for me lately? And lately, a lot of us were just really expensive paperweights. Luckily for me, I was spared, but I knew then that the pathway I had already started as a real estate investor was the right one. I knew that if something happened, I'd still have other streams of income and everything would be just fine. Others were not so lucky, or should I say prepared. Since then, I've continued to grow. Currently, I have passive and active equity stakes in commercial real estate, residential rental properties, two franchise gyms, an infinite banking policy, hard money notes, cryptocurrency notes, and other investments. And I'm still building. I will continue to build. I have a half dozen or so other commercial real estate investments lined up in multifamily, RV parks, senior living, and retail, along with another franchise I'm heavily buying into. It all starts snowballing fast, but you have to keep moving. You have to get started. Maybe you've been laid off, fired, or furloughed yourself. Maybe you've had an unfortunate event or an accident or illness or even worse happened to you or one of your loved ones. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a catastrophic event or at least a near miss to make most people take action. But hopefully that's not you. You're going to take action and be prepared for the next economic crash or unfortunate life event, or just the day you've had enough and want to walk out of the office for good. You're going to start investing in hard assets, in real estate, in businesses that create cash flow and equity. You're going to do what others won't so that you can have what they will never have and they will never achieve. Financial freedom, financial security, and generational legacy wealth. Our guest today, international commercial airline pilot, Steve Rosenberg, knows this story all too well. After the tragedies of 9-11, Steve was forced to realize that his safe and secure career as an airline pilot was nowhere near as safe and secure as he had thought. Steve chose real estate investing to be able to control his own destiny and to create his own generational wealth as is now, and he is now an international speaker, coach, and real estate investor. Without further ado, Steve Rosenberg. Let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Steve, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. 
Absolutely. How are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man. Uh, dude, you're, you're super jacked. Where, where do you find the time for that? Uh, you know, I learned a long time ago, uh, being an airline pilot, having to, you know, live on the backside of the clock and travel and all that stuff that you, you kind of need to carve your own time out. You know, it's not going to happen for you. So, you know, if I got to get up at 2 a.m. to go, I get up at 2 a.m. If I got to, you know, if I fly 17 hours and I land in Sydney, Australia, I go right to the gym. So I just, I just don't think about it. I just do it. I've been doing it since I was 13 years old. I'm 48 now. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't miss a day. I don't miss a beat. I just, it's just kind of like breathing oxygen to me. It's just what I do. Yeah, that's right, man. You, you've got to just carve out that time. And people are always like, I don't have time. I don't have time to work out. I don't have time for this and that. Like you've, you've just got, you can make time. You, you can make time for yourself. Yeah. I, I get a lot of people that tell me that. And I'm like, I, I, my, my answer to them is, are you, are you wanting me to say it's okay? Or do you want me to catch <laughs> on the back? Or like, what do you, like, what do you want? Like, I don't, you know, I, I do what I have to do. I, you, whatever you do, what you do. Like, I, I can't make you do it, but I don't really care. Cause I'm just doing what I do. So like, if you want, if you feel better by me saying it's okay, you're busy, I'll say that. But at the end of the day, you're the one that has to tell yourself the truth, not me, you know? Right. Right. You're the one that's going to have to answer those health consequences, man. You've got, you've got to find time for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, let's jump into your story. I know you have an incredible story to tell. You know, you're a pilot, a business builder, a mindset coach. So let's just jump in. What's your story? Take it back as far as you'd like to. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first I tell people, like, I never thought that I would be a speaker, an educator, speaking on all these stages with thousands of people and coaching people. I, I, I like, I only wanted to do one thing growing up. I grew up in, born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, and all I ever wanted to do as a little kid was be an airline pilot and fly planes. Um, and that was my, that was my focus. And I, I just, you know, grinded and grinded to get a job. Uh, I ended up getting a job with a major airline at 25 years old, which is about 10 years before the average uh, gets hired. And uh, I was flying, it was Continental Airlines at the time. And I got based in Guam and I was flying out of the South Pacific. I was going to all over Asia, Australia, South Pacific Islands. And I mean, I had the best job in the world. It was the safest and it was the most secure job that, you know, anybody could ever imagine. Um, and a certain day in history happened, uh, 9-11. And that was the day that, yes, it, it changed every, it changed the world, but it really changed my life very impactfully uh, because that safe, secure job that I thought I had, I got a furlough notice 48 hours after the towers fell that basically said, hey, thanks for playing, but we don't think we need you anymore. So good luck. And you're going to be on the street with, 50,000 other pilots. So I hope it works out for you. And to me, that was a very, very eye-opening waking moment to say, holy crap, like, like this, this I, I let myself believe an illusion of, of being an airline pilot, thinking I had this safe job that I was protected and unions and all that stuff. And the reality was, is I was a swipe of a pen. I was, I was a decision. I was a cog in a wheel. And you know, it, it's very humbling, right? Because when you study, you know, at, at yourself as an attorney, my brother was an attorney. I know, I know what it takes to get there. And when you focus on doing that your whole life and you get to a point that within 48 hours, it's ripped away from you, you realize how, how vulnerable you are by being so specific in a field. And that's, that, that was me. And I, I realized after, you know, after I had my pity party and I, you know, blamed and this and that, and after a couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, well, shit, I got to figure this out. Now, I was on the list to be furloughed. So they were basically chopping down from the most junior person in the company. And every month they would chop more people as they saw fit. So I was like, I'm just watching this come. And I'm like, okay, maybe I have six months, maybe I have a year. I'm not really sure. If there's another attack, this whole thing's going to shit. And I'm going to have to figure something out very quickly, right? Um, so in that time frame, I started realizing the clock is ticking. I've got to figure something out. So I started looking to see, okay, what do people that create wealth do? Because my whole life had been trying to be a pilot. I didn't know anything else. And I started realizing that a lot of things were tied to real estate in one form or shape of another. Even people that were successful in other industries owned some kind of assets tied to real estate. So I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. So I started, you know, not to date myself, but YouTube wasn't around. It was just 2001. So I had to get a library card. I had to go to the library and I had to check out a book. And every week I read a book on real estate or building wealth. And I did that for about, about a year. 
and I just read everything that I could. I got some coaches. I got some mentors. I started learning all these different things about real estate, flipping, wholesaling. Well, they didn't really call them that back then, but that's what they are now. Um, I started wholesaling properties. I started buying properties. And I wish I could say that was the end of the story, but I got ripped off. I got lied to. I got, you name it. I got kicked in the face every turn I went. And I thought, you know what? This works. I see it working. I'm just, I'm doing something wrong. I've got to keep getting up. And honestly, I didn't have a choice, right? I was losing my job. I had to keep getting up every time I got kicked. And I kept getting up. And eventually I started learning the processes and procedures. I bought some apartment complexes. I got kicked a little bit, a little bit less, bought some houses, kicked a little bit less, um, bought a whole portfolio of properties, me and my business partner. We had about 40 properties uh, at the time after we sold an apartment complex. And uh, real estate has an interesting way of letting you know that just when you think you're smart enough, it lets you know that you're not very smart. And it's like a wrecking ball that just comes through your house to correct you. Uh, so after we bought about 40 of these low income properties that were supposed to be high cash flow on paper, uh, we realized why people don't own low income properties. Uh, but now we had 40 of them because we bought them all within about a year, year and a half. And it got so bad that my wife said, if you buy another one, you will be living in it because you suck at buying houses <laughs> and you need to stop. So that was my moment that I was like, okay, obviously I'm not good at this. I've got some, I've got some things I'm good at. This is not one of them. Um, and so we, we realized the error of our ways. Um, I didn't want to live in this area, so I had to stop buying houses. Um, and we started building the infrastructure of how we would plumb a company just to manage our own assets. That was all it was for. And we sat down for about six months and we looked at it from an investor's perspective of if we owned a company and we were our clients. What would we want? And really, it was just so that we would not flush down the toilet, to be honest. It wasn't a business model. But what, we, what happened was, is we started having other people approach us and ask us if we could manage their properties. And at first we were like, no freaking way, man. We barely figured our own problems out. I don't want yours. But we realized that there was scalability there. So we went to a business coach. We sat down with a business coach. And we said, here's what we have. This is where we think this could go. Uh, and he sat down and he's like, there is a business here. Could be a very successful, scalable business. However, you two guys are not the smartest guys in the world and you'll be bankrupt in six months. So we hired our coach on the spot. So now we have a business coach. Uh, we stayed with that guy for seven years. We scaled that company to over a thousand properties. Um, we ended up managing assets over $200 million. We ended up selling that company to a venture capital back company um, where I became a VP for them um, in their Silicon Valley big big wig uh, hedge fund company. And um, that that's kind of my transition. And now I do a lot of speaking, educating. I've spoken all over the world, Australia, US, Canada, London, UK, on real estate, on business, um, and also being a professional because I still am an airline pilot. I came within 30 numbers from the bottom of losing the job and it started coming back. And <laughs> I, I wouldn't say, I, obviously, you never want to lose your job or your career, but waiting every day for to open the mailbox for two years before it kind of rounded out was a pretty scary thing thinking, is this the day? Is this the day I get my peak slip that I'm done? Um, and so that's kind of my, that's a, that's a very long, but quick story of my last 20 years, basically. Yeah, appreciate that, man. Lots, lots to unpack there. It's like you, you saw the, the ticking time bomb, but luckily it didn't actually go off. A lot of people, it has to go off before it actually changes you to, to take action. Yeah, very, very much. And for me, you know, it, it's like when you touch the hot stove, I, I had friends that were losing their jobs. They were going over to Asia to apply. They were going to South America. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to take my family and go down to, you know, Panama or over to Seoul, Korea and fly for three, four. Like, I just didn't want to do that. And I saw these people doing real estate that were like, you're freaking crazy, man. Like, why would you do that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. But you know, when you're, Look, you know as well as I do, when you're trained to do something and that's all you know, that's all you know. And so there, there are other, look, I'm sure as attorneys, you know, you guys see things that other people are doing and it's just kind of foreign to you and you just don't know how they do it. And I've learned over the years when, and I coach people and I mentor people and all that stuff is everyone's always worried about the how, but the bigger challenge and the biggest mistake people make 
is the why. They don't really understand their why of why they should be doing something like, you know, attorneys, why should you transition or should you not? I'm, I'm not a big believer that you should quit your job. I know a lot of people say, oh, quit your job. I think that's stupid. Like I, I've got a great job flying $200 million aircraft all over the world. Why would I quit doing that? I love what I do, but I also know it's a job and I know that I can be removed from it at any moment. Just like lawyers, you can get disbarred, you can do this, you can do that. So I love what I do, but I don't rely on it anymore. That's not my sole source of income that I have to depend on. And I think that's the big difference. Yeah. And just, just to comment on that, I see the same thing with some folks that I help out. It's like, once you take, once, once you create options for yourself, once you create other streams of income or a side business or something where you no longer have to have that job and you're completely dependent on it, you, you sort of find that oh, you don't mind the work that much. It, it, it's, you don't mind it. Maybe you actually even enjoy it. Yeah. It's so true. Like, you know, I fly, I, you know, I fly a 780 seven uh, for United Airlines. So I do Sydney, Australia. I go to, I go to Buenos Aires. I, I go all over the world. And I, and, you know, you would think, man, that's the best job in the world. And, and I think it is when I get in the cockpit with other guys or girls and they're just bitching all the time. Oh, did you hear about the union? Did you hear about that? And I'm like, <laughs> no, like, I don't, I don't even get the emails. Like, I don't even give a shit. Like I come to work. I want to fly this plane and then we'll go have some beers in another city and then we'll come home and I'll go keep doing my real estate stuff. So that, that is a very good point of what you said, because so many people get wrapped around the axle and they forget like, you know, practicing law, right? They forget the art of why they even got into it because they're so wrapped around all these other things that don't even matter. And so when you can be removed from it and detached from a certain perspective, I can be, I don't give a shit. Like I just, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I don't, I don't care what goes on with the union. It doesn't, I have one vote. I make my vote. That's all I can do. Other than that, I'm not getting involved because I can't change that. I can change my destiny on my real estate and my own education, my own family's wealth and generational wealth, passing it down that I can do my job. I really can't change where United decides to fly or doesn't fly. I have no say in that. So why get wrapped around the axle? Right. And that relates back to kind of that first inflection point you had. People just get disillusioned with the idea that having a great job is, is safe. It's like the least risky thing to be doing is if you have one sort of income, that's a great job and people just, that, you know, that makes them feel safe. But in real life, that's not because you're at the mercy of somebody else and somebody else can turn the lights off in a heartbeat. Yeah. And, you know, I, to me, when 9-11 hit, a lot of people were, you know, upset, furloughs and all this stuff. And they were blaming the company and blaming blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, I kind of blamed myself. And, and, and you know, I, I had this I had this moment. I talk about it on stage when I speak a lot. When when 9-11 happened. We had to, all the planes, wherever they were in the world, had to land immediately or they would be shot down essentially, right? So wherever they were, they so there was thousands of planes scattered. And so they dispatched all the flight crews to go to these airports to pick up these aircraft and reposition them for maintenance and passengers. And I remember walking through a terminal, I think it was Denver, I forget, but it was this huge cavernous building and everyone's just kind of in shock. There's no people in the building at all. It's just some flight crews going, and I remember looking out at the tarmac and there was thousands of planes that were just, it looked like a cemetery, just parked in this jigsaw puzzle. And I remember looking out there and I thought, you know what? My life is never going to be the same as a result of this, but I got lazy. I was this hard charging person to get to this job. And then I let my foot off the gas because I believed in an illusion of safety and security because of what people told me. And I, I blamed myself. So I, I was upset at myself for letting my foot off the gas because I knew I was better. So when people ask me, what's my drive? It's that I know I have the ability to be better because I know what it's like to, to believe that illusion that I, I blame myself. I mean, I, you can't blame anybody else. All I can do is blame my own decisions or lack of action after I got the job. Right. And I 100% believe in accountability and taking account for your own actions and the decisions you make and the things that you know, happened to you or, or account of what you've done. But man, a lot of it goes back to our education growing up. We, we just were not taught financial no. education and entrepreneurship and how to buy real estate or make your money work for you. It's all about learning about how to be an employee and work for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a little older than you, but the, but the school system is the same. You're taught when the bell rings, you sit at your desk, you don't talk to anyone, you don't talk to your neighbor, which is the complete opposite as being an entrepreneur, right? If you, if you ask your neighbor for help, it's cheating. If you do it in business, it's collaborating. 
right? And then once you're done with school, you go to college. What do you do in college? You get bills, right? So now you're, you're, you're stacking the debt, right? And then yeah. you buy a house, stack the debt a little bit more, buy a car, stack the debt. And then what do you do? You get a raise. So what do you do? You buy a bigger fucking house, you buy a nicer car, you buy all this <laughs> shit. And you're like, you're right there, but that's what we're taught to do. So yeah. I, I don't blame anybody because you have to basically change the, the neural pathways. You have to change how you think, but we are programmed to be indebted and servants and employees of someone bigger. We're not taught if everybody was an entrepreneur, who's going to be the worker, you know, the, I, and I hate to say this, but the world needs ditch diggers. The world needs employees. I, I just, I think that if people have a skill set to go above that and you can create more jobs, you're actually helping people by doing that, not hurting them. That, and then, again, that's just my thoughts. And I've been on both sides of the equation. So when people complain about a big company, I'm like, have you ever owned a company? No. Do you know what it's like to have employees? No. Then maybe you should not just voice your opinion because you're voicing it as an employee, you know, bitching about stuff as opposed to voicing it as somebody who's can articulate what they're going through. And again, again, I, I don't, I don't get into politics and everything, but that's just my opinion of being on both sides of owning a business, scaling it all the way to selling the company. So basic merger, whatever you want to call it. Um, to being an employee of a major company at the same time. So I, I had a different perspective of things as I was going through this process. Yeah, I love that you got that different perspective from both sides, started kind of on the W2 side, now you're an entrepreneurship side from the ownership side, and you can see both sides of the story whenever you see one of those arguments kind of going on. Um, you, you had mentioned that you went, you found some coaching. Why, why do you think that was important for you? Why do you think, you know, do you think that helped accelerate your growth or where do you think that helped you out? I, I, I could tell you without a doubt, if we did not hire that coach or a coach, we would not have been in business more than a year. The things that we didn't know that were coming around the corner, we, we had no idea. At one point, I had almost five coaches coaching me for different parameters of my life. I probably invested close to five to $600,000 in being coached. Now, some people say that's, that's crazy. Like, why would you waste all that money? Well, it made me multi, multi-million dollars and I own multi-million dollars in real estate. So I don't look at it as a waste. You could, but I don't because I now have that knowledge that I can go make revenue based on what I've learned. So it, the, the coaches do a couple of things, at least in my opinion, is they held us accountable. So we didn't have the option to say, yeah, we're not going to do that this week. Every week we met with that coach and we were accountable to that coach. That was the first thing. Second thing is, when you're talking with a coach, they're able to remove themselves from your situation to look at things objectively as a third party with no skin in the game. So a lot of times as business owners, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, we, we get emotionally charged, right? We come up with these stupid ideas and we think it's the best thing and we run down the hill without creating a plan. And then next thing you know, we run right into the wall and we're like, wow, that's weird. It didn't work. Let me get some more speed and try it again, right? So a lot of people do that, and that's called emotions. So we run our businesses on emotion, not on facts and logic. I have never met a successful business person that has ever said, I made whatever I made, and I am successful because I did everything emotionally. And second of all, I've never, ever met one person or read a book or listened to anything that said, I did it all myself. I didn't have any help. So you look, at, you look at professional athletes, right? You took it Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods. You look at all the pros. They all have a coach. Now, Michael Jordan, in my opinion, is probably one of the best athletes in history. He practiced eight hours a day for a two-hour game. Once, the game was once a week. He practiced every day for eight hours, and he had multiple coaches. So the question is, is was he the best in history because of his talent or because of his coaches? Now. If you said his talent, then I would ask, why did he get cut from his high school basketball team in 10th grade? If he had talent, he should have been the rock star, but he wasn't. So I just think a coach brings out the natural ability and talent to take you to that next level of, you know, look, if, if you're brand new at this, I didn't know what it was like to have a revenue of 300,000, 500,000, 1 million. We were doing revenue of three, 5 million a year. It, I had no idea what was coming around the next corner with scale and growth. 
if I didn't have someone that was guiding me, I would never, we would have imploded or been sued or we would have done something stupid. There's no doubt about it. But, but it's like having an attorney, right? So if you, if I say, Hey, you know what? I just, you know, was in a major accident and, and uh, you know, unfortunately I killed someone. I think I'm going to try it myself. I think I'm going to go to trial and I think I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'll see how it goes. If it doesn't work, then I'll hire an attorney. You'd be like, that's the stupidest thing you've ever done. But many people do that with their businesses. They go, you know what? I'm going to try it myself and I'll see. And if it doesn't work, then maybe I'll hire someone. It's like, well, what, how many lawsuits or how much money do you want to lose before you realize that? Why not just hire the right people from the beginning and carry you through to success? So that's my take on coaching. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, people are just very weary of coaching and spending money on it. And I just don't understand. I mean, even with, you know, if, if you are seeking an attorney or an accountant or a real estate agent, you seek consultants and guidance with, you know, everyday transactions. But then when you're starting a business, something you've never done before, something you can get yourself into a lot of money, a lot of trouble and a lot of debt and, and you, and you won't spend some money to get some, some coaching. You're even willing to go into debt, you know, $200,000 for a degree um, that doesn't even give you specific knowledge. It's just a piece of paper, but you yeah. won't spend $10,000 on a coach that can give you accountability and specific knowledge on, you know, subject matter that you need to know in order to be successful in your business. Well, and here, here's my, here's my take on that. And I've, I've talked a lot of people and I've coached a lot of people and some people, you know, it works. Some people it doesn't work. And I tell people, look, I cannot want it more than you. I like, you talked about the gym. I can't make you get up and go to the gym. I can tell you what to do. I could give you all the recipes, right? But I can't, I, I can tell you what to do. And I guarantee you in one year, we probably would have different results, right? So you've got to ask yourself, what's the difference? So a lot of people, and, and I tell people, whether you own one piece of real estate or 50, or you're starting a business, you are the CEO of your company. You need to be the CEO and you need to think like a CEO. So a lot of times, you know, as, as attorneys or pilots or whatever, we're, we're employees or self-employed. Right. We don't think of the business ownership level. And a lot of people, they'll hire a coach or they'll hire an, an advisor and they, they abdicate that. They push it away and say, like, I don't want to know. Just tell me the results. That is not what a leader does. That is not the role that you're in. If that's the case, then go back to being an employee, because being the CEO of a company means you have to understand everything that's going on in your business. And you are responsible for those things. A, a leader is only going to amplify you sucking. Or they're going to amplify you being better. That's all they're going to do. So if you are lazy and you suck and you hire a coach, they're going to go, yeah, we can make you worse, but we're not going to make you better unless you want to be better. So I think that's the challenge when people are apprehensive. They just want this magic bullet and it doesn't exist. The magic bullet just does not, it's just not out there. Right, right. They, they'll spend some money and then they expect all these great things to happen, but they're not taking action themselves and, and taking leadership and, and doing the things they're supposed to do. They just expect somebody else to do that for them. Yeah, it's and, like I, bl I blinked my eyes and it's been a day and like I don't even see the revenue coming in. I'm like, you think this is like, you think I ride to work on a, on a unicorn over a rainbow? Like, like what world are you in? You know, or, or, you know, another example, when I talk to owners and they tell me they have a high employee turnover and I'm telling them, you're not hiring bad people. You're a bad leader. The fish stinks from the head down. There's a leadership problem in your company. So I, I work with a lot of businesses, a lot of self you know, entrepreneurs and stuff, and I, I can dissect their company. And within about 10 minutes, I can figure out where their problems are. And normally it's the lack of leadership because people mistake leadership for management. And a lot of times we think that we're being leaders, but we're really being managers. And that's with in real estate, that's with contractors, vendors, tenants, employees. And I tell people, a leader's role, which is normally the owner of the company, the owner of the properties, their job is to inspire, to get people to see the vision of where you're going, to get them in, enveloped in what they're doing and want to be better. So that when they come to work, they feel like they're making a difference and they're coming to work for a purpose. So they say, hey, I'm going to go charge up that hill. And when they start running, all the people are behind them because they believe in the leader. The manager is the one standing behind them saying, if you don't get up that hill, you're all fired. So a lot of times we think if we're yelling at people to do stuff, it's like pushing a string. They're going, oh, I'm leading. It's like you're not leading, you're managing. And a lot of times the company has to have both. And sometimes when you're new, you've got to wear both hats. But it's knowing when to wear what hat. And a lot of times, you know, we don't take the time to learn how to be a good business owner, a good leader a good inspiration because we don't know what that means. And we don't take the time to learn it ourselves or to learn what our why is. 
And 68% of people leave a job, not because of pay, but because they feel they're not appreciated. So that's the, that, that right there is the challenge in today when they're, and again, I, when I say business, it could be, you know, having employees, having tenants, any of these things, this is very, very common with people. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes down to accountability as well. I mean, people want to blame it on, you know, well, you know, this employee is not any good. Or they're, they're not good at their job or, you know, this happened to me or the economy's tanking or whatever it might be. And they just blame it on something else rather than saying, well, look inside. And, well, what can I do differently? How can I lead differently? Exactly. What can I, what can, how can I hire differently? Even if I hired right, how could I, how could I be a better leader to that employee? And maybe they would have performed a little bit better. Absolutely. And again, we, we like to blame, right? We would blame it. So I was taught there was a term called above the line, below the line. Above the line is ownership, accountability, and responsibility. Below the line is blame, excuse, and denial. So let's say you and I had an, an appointment and we were supposed to meet for a business meeting and it's at 12 o'clock and it's 12.10 and you show up and you're like, sorry, I was stuck in traffic. That's below the line. You're blaming, you've got an excuse and you're in denial. The reality, you should say, you know what? That's on me. I should have left earlier. I own this. So a lot of times employees and, and a lot of times people see it from the leadership. They go, well, shit, he's always late to meetings. He's rude to people. He doesn't show up. So why should I? And, and there's a big problem with above the line, below the line about being an ownership, accountability, and responsible. Going, you know what? Next time I'll, I will leave earlier and, and I own it. And that's me. It's a me problem. But, a lot, but, you know, as well as I do, people don't do that. You know, everybody wants yeah. to blame someone else, blame traffic, blame the weather. Why don't you blame? Why don't you take ownership and just say, you know what? I'll do better next time. I'll be a better person. So, yeah, give yourself the power, right? That's giving yourself the power to change and do better the next time rather than saying, well, these things are happening to me. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I mean, I tell people every day, people tell me their, their stories and they're, they're, you know, they want me to give them some magic bullet. I'm like, look, every day, every single day that you wake up, you have a decision to make. And that decision is, am I going to be better than yesterday or am I going to be worse? You're never the same. If you think you're the same, you're getting worse. And so every morning that you wake up, you can have a shit, shitty month, right? You got the worst thing happen, but you can wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I'm going to change my day. I'm going to change how I'm going to take this. I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to be responsible. And I'm going to start getting stuff done to be a better version than I was yesterday. And a lot of times people think they need to go from, you know, let's say from one to 10. And let's say they're sitting at a three. Well, we all know you want to get to 10, right? And we get that. That's common sense. My question to them is what could you do tomorrow to be a 3.1? Just let, what can we do? Just one thing that's a little bit different to start trending in the right direction. And then how do we do a 3.2? And, you know, and it's the compound effect of being better consistently over time. It's not magic. You didn't become this way overnight. You're not going to change it overnight, but it's going to be through consistent habits and changing who you are every day to become that better version of yourself the day before. And if you choose not to look, it doesn't change my life. I hate to tell, I tell people, like, look, if you want to keep being this way, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be around you. Like, I just, I don't like, I, I've got, I've got my own problems, right? You've got your own problems in life. We all have our own problems. I want to be around people that are saying, I'm doing everything I can to be better. I'm going to be better. I've got my issues, but I'm going to be better. And that's the key to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. What, what compelled you to start getting into the coaching business? You're obviously really good at it. You can tell just from our conversation, like what, what compelled you to get started? You know, it's funny. I, I never, again, I never really wanted to. Um, <laughs> one of the gentlemen, uh, a gentleman named Marshall Silver uh, trained me on uh, NLP and negotiating and communication. And I spent a lot of time with him and he's a, he's a very well-respected person in the industry. And, and he would he would talk to me and say, like, you know, you, you've got a skill. You, you've got a way of resonating your message with people. And he said, if you don't use that skill, who's the selfish one? You have the ability to help people. If you don't help people and you don't help people be better, who's the lazy one? It's you. He's like, if you have something that can help people, it's 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 an obligation to be better. Not that, oh, okay, whatever. You know, I'm a pilot, dude. Like, what, like. Anyways, as I, this is when I was growing a business and, and I was still grinding out growing business, but I, I believe that our life is a book and we have chapters. Okay. So you have junior high is a chapter, high school is a chapter, college, right? Me being a pilot and growing up in, in the commuters is a chapter. Everything's a chapter. Chapters begin just like high school begins. Chapters end, high school ends. 
there, some chapters are long and some are short, some are good and some are bad. To me, when I owned my business and I went through everything that I did for seven years, growing and learning and becoming this different person, that was a chapter. Now, at the time, my business partner really didn't want to sell the company. But for me, it was time to close that chapter of my life. The company was doing great. We could have, I could have sat back and, and just raked in the cash every month. But to me, I wanted to move on. And so the chapter was over. And so the, the next chapter, I call it, of my life is like, okay, I make enough money. I'm, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need, I mean, everyone likes money. Don't get me wrong, but I do well. Um, and I thought if I could help people and I can convey what I've done, I think some of it for me, to be honest, to be personal, some of it is validation. You know, you spend all this time learning and you're like, could I expend that to someone else? Can I help someone else uplift them? And, and I have, I've helped people buy real estate, you know, build their businesses, just everything. And it's kind of like, you've got all this information in your head. It'd be a waste not to share it, in my opinion. And so I just started, I just started kind of helping people. And it's, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. I've, I've been doing this, the coaching for a couple of years um, because I was busy building a business. I didn't have time to do all these other things because I was in the grind and being an airline pilot and having a family, you know, and, I, and I've learned to very segment my time. So now I don't have the business. So I've kind of swapped out the business for basically teaching people how I grew my business and how we ended up selling it and exponentially growing. And to me, um, it's just something I feel, I feel like it's something, a way for me to give back to other people and help regurgitate some of this information that's just stuck up here that I've, if I can help them, I help them. Yeah, I love it, man. Who's your typical client? Like, tell me about that. You know, I've got I've got two types. One of them are real estate investors that are just, you know, maybe somewhere between zero and 20 properties, and they're just not getting the life they want. You know, they bought the properties and they're like, this isn't happening. Like, you know, I, it's just not going to happen. Like, this is not the life I thought it would be. And um, so I coach people on more of the why, right? What is the goal? What is the strategy? How do we achieve that? Very, very, you know, pragmatic looking at an analysis of their life and helping them achieve what they want, what their Disneyland is. So I've got, uh, I do a weekly mastermind. I have a full education online academy uh, sitting on Lightspeed VT, which is the same as Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins, all them. It's on there. Um, and then I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, so I help them. And, and, and then I, it's kind of like the three-legged stool. I've noticed that when people encompass all of that, um, I did a, I'll, I'll give an example. I did a series. I don't know if you're familiar with bigger pockets, um, but I did a, I did a, I'm a contributor there. And I did a series on bigger pockets where I took a guy, he won a contest. Uh, he was a Marine Naval aviator and I coached him from, from, he had two properties and he, the deal was, is he had to buy his first out of state property and I was his coach. And so I coached him through the process. We, we had based on his goals, we had, we had six or seven cities. We narrowed those down. I showed him how to build the team in the city. I showed him how to negotiate, get the deal, did about a $30,000 or $40,000 rehab. We got it rented and he never once saw the property. He never set foot. He was on lockdown in Camp Lejeune because he was a Marine Naval aviator. He was in lockdown on Camp Lejeune. And shortly after he deployed, never still has not seen the property. And now he owns 23 doors because of what I taught him. So he was at Bigger Pockets at the conference, and we, he was up on stage with me. And I, I was like, "Hey, man, so what have you been up to?" So he told me, and I was like, "23." I'm like, "What? Like, what? What's the secret?" And he, and he looked at me like I was a moron. He's like, "I just followed the recipe you showed me." Like, he's like, "I did exactly what you said." He's like, "I'm a marine. You told me to do it, and I've been doing it, and it works." So, so that's the that's the investor side. The other side is somebody who's a, a business owner that is trying to figure out how to grow their business. So whether whether they're a one man show and they're trying to grow. Or they they're have a staff of, you know, multi-staff, 10, 20 people, and they're just not getting it across the goal line. They're so busy being busy, working in the business, they have a job. And so I tell people, if you can't, if you can't leave your job, your business, for a day, a week, a month, a year, and have it operate on its own through systems, policies, procedures, and structure, you don't own a business. You own a job. Call it what it is. You own a job. And it's probably a very low paying job compared to if you just work for someone. So what I teach these business owners is how to automate their business, how to systematize what they do, whether they're attorneys or contractors or whatever, and then take that money and build wealth by buying real estate as assets. And so, you know, 
one of the things I've, I've, I've learned is that as entrepreneurs, um, we can be very selfish people. Um, and, and even as solopreneurs, and, and what I mean by that is we, we go to school, right? Like attorneys, you go to school, you get all this education, you do all this stuff. And now you're reading books on real estate. You're doing it for the people that you love. Maybe your, your spouse, maybe your children. But you never actually share with them what it is that you're doing. You're trying to give them the end product. But you don't actually educate them and show them what you're doing and why you're doing it. So my son, he bought his first rental property at 14 years old. And people ask me, well, how did he do that? How did he get a loan? And, and look, there's, there's ways, there's creative financing everywhere, right? But I, I tell them, you should be asking a different question. What you should be asking me is, why would a 14-year-old say, dad, I want to own passive income and I want my own rental property? That's the question. And, and so I think that we do our families a disservice by not teaching generational wealth, passing it down. You know, I, I work with some professional uh, athletes, NFL, some, some tech people, they make all this money, but they don't know what to do with it. I'm like, what about your kids? Like, are you even teaching your kids? Or like, I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my money. I don't even know what to do with them. And I'm like, so some people I coach and I tell them the only way I'll coach you um, is if your kid's being coached also. So like, I've got people that have 13, 14, 15 year old kids. I'm like, bring them in. I'm like, let's educate them together. Like, let's get them on the path. Cause I, I think we have a responsibility someone's got to teach these kids how to create wealth because if not, it's look, we know the school system's not going to do it. So who's going to do it. And then you're going to sit there and go, man, I should have taught. So, so I, I think that, you know, if I, if I help business owners or even real estate people, I really push that generational wealth. Cause I think it's important. No one taught me. My parents were busy being busy workers. I wish they would have, but they didn't. And that's fine, but I can change that path. Yeah, same here. My dad's a retired coal miner. My mom's a retired teacher. I grew up in a blue collar family. Yeah, that's all. That's all I knew. And you, you, we've got to figure out a way to kind of spread that, spread the good word about entrepreneurship, and that there's another way to to get through this life. Uh, one one thing you said just reminded me of the, the second client that you mentioned. It reminded me of a Robert Kiyosaki quote: "the The reason for starting a business is to own real estate." It's like even if you're starting a business doing whatever it might be, you yeah. need to take that income and figure out a way to buy real estate with it because that is long lasting. That's what's going to get you to, to true generational wealth. Very true. And I, I look, I I speak at roofing conventions. I speak, I'm like I'm like that guy who's like, you're here, you're here, you're here. And I'm like, <laughs> because look, we all know how to make money. Making look, making money is cool, and you can buy some cool shit with money. But being wealthy buys you time. And having a business doesn't always equate to being wealthy. Real estate creates wealth. Businesses create money. Get one first and use the other one for the next connection. That's, that's, so that's why I'm not a big believer in quitting your job. I'm like, okay, congratulations, you quit your job. How the hell are you going to buy a house now, genius? Like, what, what, what did you just do? Like, that was stupid. Like, you had, a, you had a job that you could have used. And so a lot of people I coach, I'm like, look, this is a stepping stone. I coach a guy, he's a, he's a, he's a Vegas SWAT guy uh, in Las Vegas. And he's like, man, I think I want to quit. I'm like, no, I'm like, use it as a stepping stone. Let's create an end exit date for you. And let's see how much do we need to exit you out of there. And let's do it smart by using that money to buy assets. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, don't just quit because then, I, well, then what are you going to do? Now you're going to be stressed over money because now you're trying to flip properties and do all this other stuff. When you had a job that was giving you enough money to do this, like it doesn't make sense. But, you know, a lot of times we, we, it's like ready, shoot, aim. And then we're like, gee, that didn't work. But now I told my boss to F off and I don't know what to do. That's, you know, a challenge. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think separates people that, you know, are successful to take action and take control of their life from, from people that, you know, they just complain, complain about their job. And then 20 years later, they're still in the same job and they're not, you know, they're, they're still just making those same complaints they made 20 years ago. What, what's that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I would say um, the main thing that separates those people is the should becoming a must. You know, when you talk and, 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 and so, you know, when all of a sudden I should quit smoking, I should quit smoking, I should go on a diet. All of a sudden you find out you have lung cancer and you're like, now I have to quit smoking. Right. So when that should become so a lot of people don't have those musts, they they kind of they sugarcoat them and they're like, well, everyone else smokes. I'm just going to do one a day, whatever the reason is. 
Um, I also think the, and, and I was a victim of this. So a lot of things I talk to people on and I coach people on are things that I personally went through that I'm saying like, look, don't do what I did. So one of the challenges I think a lot of people do where they make mistakes is they don't have an end goal. They don't have a final destination. That end destination should be the anchor that everything stems from. You've got to know, it's like, if you get in your car, you don't just get in your car and start driving and go like, gee, I wonder where I'm going to go today. You get in your car knowing I'm going to Disneyland, I'm going to, you know, the store. And then the strategy is how you get to the store, you get to Disneyland. And, and, and building assets in real estate, the strategy is buy and hold, flipping, but those should all be in relation to actually getting to your destination. So a lot of times people fail because they just get on the freeway of life and they really don't have any end goal. And I was one of these people and they're on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles on a snowmobile, meaning they bought the wrong property for the strategy that they're using and they have no idea where they're going. And then they go, real estate sucks, I'm quitting. It's because they don't have a goal and they don't have the right strategy or tactic to achieve it. Yeah. And that probably goes back to where you said, you know, you start with your clients, you say, why? You, you try to get to that why to begin with. You figure Absolutely. out what that why is and then you can identify what that end goal is. So you yeah. can figure out the path. Very much. All right, man. Let's Before we jump into the Freedom Four, you have one last gold nugget for our listeners. You know, I would say be very careful who you tell your dreams to. Because more people would rather see you fail than succeed. I'm a big, big believer in compartmentalizing my friends. You know, I, I've got people that I grew up in LA. Uh, I grew up in East Los Angeles, which at the time was not a good area. Those are not the same people that I talk about my goals with. I compartmentalize people. I'm still friends with them, but I don't tell them about my dreams because they have different goals that I have in life now. So I'm very, very protective of who I share things with. Not saying that I, 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 I hide it. I just, there's certain people that I tell my goals to or what I'm doing. And I compartmentalize those people and not everybody wants you to succeed. I mean, it's sad, but the reality is, is some people want to see you fail mostly because it helps them feel better to go, told you, you couldn't do it. Now I don't need to do it myself. So people will want to see you fail for their own preservation or justification for being unsuccessful. So be very careful. Man, man, I love that. All right, let's jump into the freedom floor. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing to do to keep your mind and body healthy? Well, uh, my mind, every day I wake up, it takes me about an hour before I go to the gym. Uh, I write my I am statements. I write down my goals. I meditate. Uh, and, then, and then I go to the gym. So that's, that's my mind. I get, it, it sets my day. It's just that is my ritual. That is my habit. Um, and then from there, I go to the gym and I'm in the gym for two hours every day. Doesn't matter. I block two hours. Don't give a shit what time it's happening. So that to me is just something that I, I, that is a non-negotiable for me. Awesome. Awesome. With all your success, what is one limiting belief that you crushed along the way and how did you get past it? Um, well, that's a good question. I think the, the first limiting belief is that people didn't want to hear what I had to say. Um, I thought I'm just an airline pilot. I'm just, I'm just this, I'm just that. And I didn't think people really cared um, about what I had to say because I, I qualified myself. I put myself in a box of being just an airline pilot. And I realized that everybody has something important to say if it resonates with that particular person. And if I'm solving a problem for people and I have a solution, people want to hear it. And if you educate instead of sell, you're much more valued. What's one actual step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? Figure out your goal, figure out your end destination, put a date to it, put a quantifiable amount and do the, and figure out what the first step is that you got to start doing it and do it today or first thing tomorrow morning, but do not wait. Last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? Oh, oh man. I, I, I will say that the life I have now I would have never been able to have without passive income. I can go where I want, when I want. I can travel. I've traveled the world. My son has been to 20 countries. Um, I mean, we've been bungee jumping in New Zealand, hiking in Zion. I mean, I, I wouldn't have had this lifestyle. And again, it's not necessarily the, let, let me just say that a lot of times we think the money is what buys us the freedom the, or, or the happiness. It doesn't. There's no such. I, look, when I look at my bank account, I don't get super joyous seeing the commas, decimal points or the amount of doors I have. 
it's, it's a lot of people think it's the freedom that it gives you. And it's not the freedom. It's the memories that you're buying. You're buying memories. So that passive income is giving me a passport to go buy memories with my family, with myself, to go ride motorcycles to Sturgis, to go do, to do whatever I want. I'm buying memories. And so when you really think about it, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to buy memories that we can remember to have, but yet we don't actually think about what memories we want to buy. Um, so I recommend, and someone taught this to me a long time ago, write a, get a notebook and start writing down what memories you want to experience, whether it's dinner uh, in, in Greece on the Mediterranean at sunset, whether it's, you know, watching the Rolling Stones in Wembley Stadium. Those are memories that you may not ever get again. They're not that young, so you may have to speed those some up, uh, but buy memories. And so that's the one thing I've learned uh, from passive income. Yeah, I love that answer, man. I mean, I always say like whenever you get these deposits in your bank account from, you know, your investments, those aren't, that's not money. That's, that's time. Those are little pieces of time that you're getting yep. deposited in your bank account. Very true. Very true. All right, Steve, this has been awesome, man. Where, where can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. Um, they can uh, find me, uh, if you find me anywhere on social media, whether it's uh, Instagram, it's Rosenberg Steve. So it's R-O-C-E-N-B-E-R-G Steve. Um, Facebook, um, I've got a, a closed group Facebook group. They can join Think Tank Mastermind. Um, they go to my website, steverosenberg.com. And again, I do a weekly mastermind. I bring in some of the top people in the real estate industry from bigger pockets and other places, live q and I give back a lot of information. I have a YouTube channel. I mean, I, I'm kind of omnipresent, right? I'm that guy that's everywhere that you're like, holy shit, you know? Um, but that's, that's just how I am. As you can tell, I'm kind of uh, gregarious, kind of out there. And I just, that, that's my personality. And, and I'm anybody that messages me, I always answer. A lot of people are like, is this really you? I'm like, yeah, it's me. Like, you know, so I always answer people. I'm very approachable. Um, if people have a question or they want to ask me something, just shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, um, or go to my website and you can message me there. Love it, Steve. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Appreciate having me on. Wow. What a show. I could talk to Steve for hours. Such an incredible speaker and motivator and most importantly person. Reach out to Steve for questions on anything we discussed on the show today, his coaching programs, masterminds, all that stuff. He is so good at it. All right. If you're ready for a change, if ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. All right, kids. Enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.